This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. You may have heard, but I'm just going to quickly mention it anyway. I am now officially part of Floatplane, the support service made by Linus Tech Tips. So I already posted a video and everything on it now. I was just kind of excited to be a part of it and wanted to share it with everybody. So um, if you haven't started supporting yet but would like to, please give it a shot. If you're already supporting, you're probably totally fine where you are, but you might want to give it a shot anyway because there's a bunch of cool people on there. But anyway, let's jump right into the news. First up, people working in the Doomsday Duplicator project have now officially backed up their first Pioneer Laser Active game, which is something that's really important because all laser discs, just like all physical media, will eventually start to disintegrate, but laser discs sooner rather than later. So they're using the Doomsday Duplicator process to back it up, and while I'm not sure if there's a way to replay it yet, that's fine and that'll come later. I'm really just more concerned about making sure some of these games, even the weird ones and the bad ones, all get preserved as a pretty cool snapshot of history, if you will. Um, for anybody not familiar with the Doomsday Project, I really, really recommend checking out the interview I did with Simon and Chad. Um, I think it was about a year ago now, but essentially it's a way to get pretty much as perfect a recording as possible from each laser disc. However, if you have three or four laser discs and you each rip them, then you could take those four rips together, uh, run it through some software, and if one has some uh, some pits or some degradation of the disc itself, and the other one doesn't in the exact same spot, you could put them all together to get a much better recreation of it. So, pretty exciting stuff. Um, the whole team behind it's starting to grow, and they're starting to work on other parts of it, such as the laser active stuff. So, it's a uh, a pretty cool project that I'm really happy to be behind and trying to promote because I think it's something that we'll all benefit from eventually. It's easy to just kind of look past it now when all of our VHS tapes and laser discs are still working mostly, but a few years from now it's not going to be that way. So hopefully we could, anybody with the ability to, can join that team and help them preserve pretty much everything with it. And a neat thing is it runs off the, the hardware that this runs off of is the DE10 Nano, the same thing that you use to run a mister. So if you've already invested in one, you could now have the other just by swapping out whatever io board is at the time so anyway please check it out if you're interested Crix has really been killing it with firmware updates lately and now he has new firmware for both the original everdrive n8 as well as the n8 pro both add a bunch of new mapper support but the pro also uh, has some save state improvements and fixes disk error problems related to fds images uh, specifically ones with extra headers so if you're having issues with either save states or FDS stuff, definitely upgrade. If not, just, you know, I, I always try to keep up as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, For me personally, it's whenever I use my EverDrive, the first thing I do is go check for new updates. Um, but I don't run out and update it if I'm not going to use it because I just 
you know, especially now with, with him being so active, uh, there's usually an update every couple of weeks for at least one of the EverDrives. But I always check before I, I do start to use it, even for testing or actually playing a game, because it's just so cool to see so many more features on this thing. And I always want to stay up to date, uh, especially when testing, actually. But anyway, check it out if you have an EverDrive. And speaking of the N8 Pro, Quixus just put the NES Edition up for sale. Up until now, the Famicom version has been the only Pro that you could get, and now the N8 Pro for the NES is there as well. You can get it directly from Crix's own store, and I think it'll be available on things like Stone Age Gamer and Amazon fairly soon. It usually takes a few months for all that stuff to go through. I'm actually still waiting on my Famicom EverDrive Pro that shipped December 2nd, and it looks like it's stuck somewhere in Ukraine, so... Um, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I think I'll just wait till Stone Age Gamer has it in stock, uh, just because I know I'll get it within a few days because they're in the U.S. as well. Um, and somebody already offered to, to purchase my other EverDrive, but if they, <laughs> depending how long it takes to get here, I don't know what I'm going to do with all that. But I definitely want to put them both through their paces. I want to check out how expansion audio works through both. should be identical. But I just want to do the basic testing on it. Uh, and then probably enlist some of my friends to help the audio testing for MD4EA stuff as, uh, on top of all that. But if you were waiting for the NES edition, grab it right now directly from Cricks or hold off until someone locally gets it. Uh, now that the holiday rush is probably slowed down, I imagine that it's a lot safer to buy because I'm sure the only reason mine got caught is because it was during the holiday season and right after Crix's Black Friday sale when a million people were all putting orders in at the same time. But anyway, I'm excited to finally try it out whenever it does show up. Here's something that's really cool for fans of emulation. There's now a version of Beast Nest that runs patched games in true 16 by 9 mode. Now that's not stretching it. It actually renders the game in six, or renders the areas of the game in 16 by 9. And anybody watching right now on video, I'm showing Hyper Metroid that's been patched, and it just showed that when you're in certain areas, it's still in 4 by 3 because the area itself isn't wide enough to fill a 16 by 9 space. But then when you go into a wider area, um, the screen just naturally fills more of the screen space in it, and it felt really natural when I was playing. I played for a little while on my OLED, um, then I played again on here through my capture card, and then I quit playing because I couldn't get the wall jump working going through a capture card directly into the monitor, but this is really awesome. Now, it does require the games to be patched, so this is something that I hope is going to catch on like MSU1 Audio did, and people are just going to start patching their games for widescreen, um, but you know, both homebrew and originals, to be honest, because it's just, with more people using emulation, you might as well take advantage of all of the cool features that you can't do on original hardware, and I believe that this is pretty much impossible with original stuff. I think you would have to do something like have hybrid emulation where it was FPGA but also a graphics chip in tandem or something like that. Um, and that's not even real hardware. That would be something like the Mister might be able to eventually pull it off. I don't know. I think all of that last part on real hardware is mostly speculation on my part, but it's still really awesome either way. Um, if anybody remembers correctly, I tested BeastNest a while back for um, lag testing, and when you run it in run-ahead mode, there actually isn't very much lag at all, uh, and it was something that was totally playable to me. Uh, anybody watching now can see that I got the wall jump mostly working, but... I don't know. I kind of gave up after a few minutes. So if you're interested, it's just a very short four-minute clip um, that shows exactly 
how the how it worked and how the game felt and all of the links as well as the updates should be in the post as well because i think there's uh, an even newer update for the patch but very awesome and definitely a reason that makes me want to sometimes use emulation as well as original hardware here's some pretty giant news for everybody in the retro gaming world Marcus has just announced that he's started work on the OSSC Pro Edition, which has a countless amount of new features. I'm just going to name off some of the big ones for me, um, but there's really way too many to even talk about. They require a video of its own, which, of course, Smoke Monster already jumped in and did. So thank you very much, Smoke, for putting all this stuff in a very easy-to-follow video. But essentially, it adds HDMI in and out, which is very awesome. Uh, It can rotate... So if you have any vertical games, it could rotate it to horizontal, uh, obviously in the middle of the screen. It won't stretch it or anything. On the side is an expansion module that allows you to just have a little daughter board that you could plug in, composite, and S-Video. And I do understand why that wouldn't be just part of this initial design, because those RCA connectors cost a lot of money, a lot more than you would expect. I think you need to hit insane amount of quantities in order for it to go down. So it's a, I thought that was a pretty smart way to keep the price down. Um, and there's just a ton of other features that for revolve around compatibility, more types of deinterlacing and all that stuff. Um, and one interesting thing is it runs a similar FPGA to the Mister, so it's possible that people will be able to load cores onto this and turn it into a mini gaming machine, which is kind of, you know, when I first heard somebody talk about this idea a few years ago, my my first reaction was like, eh, who would want to do that? But the more I thought about it, the more I realized you're already going to have the scaler connected to your TV, so if you could also have a couple of cores running on it, why not, right? Um, there is no 4K support, unfortunately, though. I think the, the problem is what it's always been for the past few years, and that FPGAs that support 4K60 are just going to be way too expensive to make this feasible. I personally think that there could be three OSSCs, the original, the Pro, and the Pro 4K, and some people would buy it, but I don't know if that would ever justify all of the, the research and development and up, upkeep of a 4K version of it. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe Marcus will change his mind and, and add a third on there eventually next year or something. Also, the original OSSC is going nowhere, and it is still an amazing device. If you know your TV is compatible in 3X, 4X, or 5X mode, you're going to get something that looks phenomenal and works great. So don't, you know, I saw a lot of people commenting like, oh, geez, I already bought, I just bought the original. Of course, this one's coming out. Don't look at it that way at all. I mean, this is just, you know, it's a different, more featured packed version that you may not have opted for anyway. And it's obviously going to be more expensive because of all the extra stuff that goes into it. So um, I, you know, I'm, I truly think that there's a place in the market for both of these. And on top of all of that, Video Game Perfection has now dropped the price of the original. I think it's down to about $120 now. Um, Sorry, I put in the ad here. Yeah, about $120. So that's a really great deal. So there's a lot of options for scaling nowadays, which for years there were no options for scaling that were both affordable and added zero lag and now we have a bunch so i'm very excited to try it out we'll all keep everybody updated as soon as there's any relevant info or updates to the project and for now check out smoke monsters video and then go through this post and check out all of the crazy features that marcus has added so thanks to everybody involved in the project and of course and especially thank you to marcus for taking the time to do all this stuff because 
Man, we all love it. <laughs> Another awesome project just got some status updates. Christoph just posted where he's at with the PS1 HDMI. And while he listed a whole bunch of stuff that he's currently working on, finished, and stuff for in the future after it's already been released, some of the things that uh, that were notable to me were um, video modes will all be interpolated to the proper 4x3 aspect ratio, which is pretty awesome. Um, this is throughout all upscaled resolutions, and that makes sure that you have a true-to-the-original way to view the games. Um, they're going to support 480p, 960p, and 1080p for NTSC consoles. At the moment, it's only doing 576p for PAL, but they're looking to change that in the future. And uh, this is just my opinion, but when I tried the DC HDMI on my OLED, um, 1080p looked excellent, but it was a little sharp, but 960p looked ridiculously good and I think that's because my OLED TV took the sharp 960p signal and then stretched it smooth to 4k and it really made the Dreamcast feel like a PS3 to be honest with you so I'm incredibly interested to see how the PS1 graphics are going to translate maybe they're not modern enough for lack of a better word uh, to pull that off maybe 1080p in the window might be a better way to, to look at it but either way I'm just really thrilled to be able to try it because being able to scale PS1 stuff has been a giant pain um, also there's digital to digital sound implemented right into the HDMI port no analog to digital converter it's going to have Wi-Fi based firmware updates like the DC HDMI which is incredibly awesome so happy how easy it is to update the DC HDMI and of course, they're looking to pretty much solve the problem of in-game resolution switching. Uh, they think they have it down so that it's really not going to be noticeable. It might the screen might go black for half a second, or you might get <coughs> excuse me some screen tearing, but you're certainly not going to get the signal dropout that you do on most TVs and capture cards these days. So for a full list, please check out um, Christoph's post. Of course, we'll keep everybody updated as soon as there's any other progress on this, because I know there's just a ton of people waiting to buy one of these. I hope to get one uh, out of the first batch, and I could do a, a pretty decent review of it, because through all the RAD2X testing, I've been really digging deep into PlayStation stuff, and I'm really being able to see some of the nuances of the signal, and I really hope this just fixes all of that stuff. But anyway, check it out if you're interested. Modern Vintage Gamer just posted an awesome video called How Game Boy Graphics Work, and it was a pretty cool insight into how the developers use certain tricks to get so much performance out of both the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color. I know for me personally, ever since I was a kid, I always kind of marveled at the difference between Super Mario Land 1 and 2. Super Mario Land 1 looked like... I mean, what you would expect a Game Boy game to look like, but Mario Land 2 looked more like a Nintendo game, and I always wondered how they were able to, to squeeze the extra detail out of that on the same hardware, and this certainly sheds some light on that, as well as the color tricks and shading that they used. So, if you're a fan of Game Boy hardware or just like really cool nerdy videos, check this one out. I am very excited to finally be saying these words. And it's been a long time coming, but the Sega Triple Bypass version 2 is now done and available for sale. For anybody unfamiliar, the Sega Triple Bypass is a board that um, bypasses the video, audio, and even the DIN on original Genesis 1s in order to get the best possible audio and video quality. 
The original was designed by Renee from DB Electronics, and it was actually an idea I had six years ago. I think it was the first time Renee and I ever spoke on the phone, so it may have been even longer than that, but um, we kind of talked about it, and in his spare time, he finally came up with it. Took him a little while, uh, but it performed perfectly. But after being out in the field for a while, even though there was nothing wrong with it, as with any product, we found ways that it could be improved. Uh, The first way is that it required different components for different motherboard revisions. So while the board itself was the same, um, if you were ordering, (laughs) excuse me, ordering in bulk or something, you'd have to order one for each motherboard revision with, I think, three different types. Whereas this one, all of the components are on there. You just set the jumpers for whatever motherboard rev you have. it's Some people said they looked right at it and understood. Other people thought it was a little confusing, so please just look twice if you're getting one of these. I'm easily confused with stuff like this, and I just took a look at it the first time it was presented to me and understood what needed to be done. So just be patient with it. But, I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it's pretty simple as to figure out overall. Some installs are much more complicated than others, and we're all working on getting documentation together and everything for it. But uh, at the moment, if you have an original triple bypass, everything's fine. I mean, I would, I probably wouldn't swap mine out if I wasn't using this for testing more than I use it for actual gaming. However, this new version of the triple bypass is verified with MD Fourier to match the levels of an original Genesis perfectly. And the original triple bypass was off by a little bit. Um, It wasn't a a giant deal, at least in my opinion. Some people are very sensitive sensitive to audio. So if you're in the 0.1% that that can tell the difference, then we will have documentation at some point. The wiki is coming along, I promise. Uh, We'll have documentation on which of these components on the original board to change in order to bring the levels up to match perfectly. But with the version 2, you don't have to worry about any of this. And while there was a small debate with some, um, some passionate people in the community before, Now there is no debate. When you install this in any model Genesis, it is a full upgrade head to toe. So I think the only people that were really, I don't want to say complaining, but discussing the original Genesis 1 thought that maybe the audio was good enough as is. And the biggest difference that I noticed on the original Genesis 1 was the noise floor. There was so much less buzz and hum, even with fully shielded cables, when using the triple bypass. Um, And now, I guess we could say it's not just that. The levels are equal. The audio amp is really high quality. Uh, This really is a true upgrade to every single Genesis or Mega Drive that you install it in. Um, The only downside at all is uh, the manufacturer made a mistake and sent Insurrection Industries all of these boards with the DIN populated. So if you're doing a Genesis 1 installation, that means nothing. But if you're installing it in a Genesis 2 or 3, that means you'll have to desolder the DIN in order to install this board. So I'm not sure what's what's up with that. I'm not sure how the manufacturer is handling the mistake. Maybe Insurrection will eventually just get another batch of boards without it um, and just have two for sale, one with the DIN, one without. So a little confusing until they sell out of that, but should be pretty easy for all of us to figure out. I'm just super happy I got to be part of a project that it really is a game changer for all Genesis models because while some have video that's perfectly good without a mod, uh, those generally badly need an audio mod and vice versa. So, you know, like a Genesis 2 or Genesis 3 actually really has perfect video, uh, you know, but it could be improved. 
And this is definitely a help. It removes some jail bars. The colors are more vibrant. But the Genesis 3 has mono audio, so this fixes that. Uh, and the opposite with the Genesis 1. The video is a mess, so you kind of need to do a bypass. And not all Genesis 1s, will, you'll be able to get all jail bars out. They're really finicky beasts. And you don't need to upgrade the audio, but if you're doing the video anyway, you might as well add this one in and not have to worry about old capacitors on the audio line or any of the other stuff. So... I guess I'll stop rambling on about this. As you can tell, I'm just very excited. And I do hope to do a full video explaining everything about this with fancy pictures and stuff. Basically what I just said, but fancy. I just, I'm still catching up for the months and months of being sick, trying to still put out videos and all that crap. So uh, hopefully I'm on my way back and I'll be able to get to Sega Triple Bypass as one of the next few videos in the next few months. So... Anybody that's interested, just go directly to Insurrection Industries. They're in stock. There's no waiting list. Um, just pick them up right now. And the only downside is you'll have to desolder the DIN if you're going to a Genesis 2 or 3. I just released a video called OSSC 5X Mode Capture Card Shootout. And essentially this video started uh, because Voltar found a pretty cheap USB-based capture card that doesn't require any drivers. You just plug it in and Windows 10 auto-detects it. Uh, same with Macs. And it does support the OSSC in 5X mode. And I was kind of intrigued by that because while I'm a huge fan of direct RGB capture and then using crazy capture cards to get perfect signals, you don't need any of that stuff. And in fact, I wouldn't even recommend bothering if your goal is just to stream with some friends and have some fun. So I kind of used that as an excuse to do a video because I really needed to get back in the swing of things and did kind of a short overview of the OSSC's compatibility with all of the cards that I had access to on both Mac and Windows. Now this isn't even, it's probably 1% of the capture cards out there, but I feel like even though I, I didn't test too many, I still covered what you often hear talked about in retro gaming. And I still think that you have a general idea of where to go for OSSC compatibility. Um, if anybody's, the short, short version is the Datapath Vision is still a killer card. Um, and the, the cheap new one works fine. There's just some, some weirdness with it uh, that I wouldn't recommend for pro use, but for casual streaming is fine. Um, and the rest of the ones in there each have their ups and downs. I do really want to go back and retest the Epiphan and Magewell DVI versions for direct RGB capture. That's something I spent a bit of time on. I just I need more info with calculating video timings um, and really translating how video timings need to be entered directly into those capture cards, which each require their own special settings in order to make it work. So it's not even that you just need the horizontal size of each consoles mode or each arcade game um, you need to then uh, translate all of the rest of the info on how each of the capture cards like it presented so that's all a giant pain but i'm working on that too for any of the people that care about direct capture via usb so stay tuned for that and for now uh, it's a short bit little video that hopefully points you right in the right direction of capturing ossc 5x and lastly developer bu you, I'm so sorry. I never mean to be disrespectful. I just don't think I could say that properly. But the developer of Hygen and Beastness, uh, a person I am a giant fan of, posted an article that was pretty interesting to me that basically went through how far SNES emulation has come and how there's still a lot of help needed for getting individual pixel timings. And 
in the context of the SNES emulation, it really just uh, affects raster effect accuracy. So it's not a giant deal from the emulation point, but from from a historical point of view, from preservation and from for really just kind of working on things from a development point of view, it would be a lot of uh, it would be a help to have all of this info. And it's kind of funny because to me, emulation and what it means has has completely changed over the years. When I was a kid, I just I thought it was amazing that I could play these games that are on a console on a computer. And I, I've followed the scene since the very first NES emulator was ever released. I really was, I mean, that's how old I am, but I was a little kid just following all of this stuff fascinated. And now... I kind of flip-flopped over the years. I, you know, at first it was just a fun, neat thing. And then I used emulation to play games on. I, I predominantly played on an Xbox for a while. Shout outs to MVG. <laughs> and, uh, and then nowadays I don't usually game on emulation unless it's something awesome like the widescreen mode, but I use it all the time for testing and development and stuff like that. So it just, I, I guess that's a long way of saying I've, I've really learned the importance of accurate emulation on all of, across the entire spectrum. Fun, serious gaming on a good emulation platform, all the way up to using it as development tools for anything related to real hardware as well. So if you have the ability to chip in, uh, please check out the post and see if it's something you might be able to add to. But uh, it's pretty cool that we've come this far for all of these consoles that are just, even to this day, I would still call them complicated. So anyway, uh, thanks so much to BU. God, I, can't, I hate that I can't say it <laughs> for for all of the work um, that that's been given to the retro gaming community all the years. And uh, I promise one of these days I'll learn how to say the name right. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much to everybody that watches and listens, and of course, thank you so much to anybody that subscribes on any platform. I try to always sign up for anyone that pops up because I'm always of the perspective that I don't want to tell anybody how to do anything. If you would like to subscribe, do it however you would like, whatever's the easiest for you. And I believe I'm up to a bunch now. I got uh, Bitbacker, Subscribestar, Patreon, um, Floatplane, of course, very happy about that. And then just joining right on YouTube itself. I'm not sure if one is better than the other, but if you all feel that one is better than the other, please let me know. And I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll try to make a point of that when I talk about these things. You know, I, I really like that I get to support Floatplane in any way that I can, because the whole team behind it's been amazingly respectful to me. I just, I appreciate the shit out of that. So, uh, you know, I, I would certainly love to throw some help their way. And of course, you know, I appreciate all the help that you throw my way, but anyway, Enough of the million thank yous in a row. Thank you one last time, and I will see you all next week.